Thank you, worship band. I'm always blessed by you guys. Can we bless the SUM worship band? Amen. Praise God. Noah, why don't you come on in over into the crowd here and join us. Nancy's been wanting me to end at 1230, but I just don't see how that is going to happen. I don't see. I know that you need more time to do your due diddles. But I feel that if we cut worship short, then you're not getting a real experience in these chapels. Uh, I just want you to have that. So just give me permission to be led by the Spirit. Amen. So, Nancy, I'm just saying let me have the permission to to do what the visionary leader is called to do. Amen. Pull the little rank right there. <laughs> Amen. It's good to see Noah with us. Uh, Noah senses a call of God on his life, and he wants to fulfill that call. So we uh, welcome you here today, brother, and we pray that uh, you will respond to that call and live accordingly. Amen. The Bible says walk worthy of your calling. And so we pray you do that. It's good to have you here. And uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 13, verse 18. If you want to stay for classes, I would recommend that as well so you can get an idea of the academic load. Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 through 23, we're going to talk about four responses to the gospel. Now, this is a parable that you guys are very much familiar with. So today, I'm not going to be taking the time to explain the parable. We're not going to read the first time Jesus says it. We're going to go right into the interpretation of the parable. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it because there's just too much to talk about here. You could actually write a book uh, based on this. There's so much depth. And and today's uh, message is a practical ministry message. It's how you can preach to people, how they're going to respond to you, and how to work with their responses to be fruitful for the kingdom. So let's just get right into it. Here it is. Jesus said the parable. Nobody knows what he was talking about. Then his disciple says, will you explain it to us? And then this is what he says. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown among the path. The one who receives the seed that, is, that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, choke it and make it unfruitful. And also the Bible says, I believe it's in Mark's version, that says the pleasures of this world. So we'll be talking about those three, the uh, worries of life, deceitfulness of riches, and the pleasures of this world. But the the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word, understands it, produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And so today what I want you to be able to do is I want you to be able to understand what God is saying about the responses that people have to the gospel. Hold that for me. Thank you. I want you to be able to hear in people's hearts what they're really saying. It's not just listening to the words. It's hearing what they're really saying. What is their heart really saying when they say they don't want Jesus or they say they'll do it later? What's really going on? So I want to take off the mask because they're not going to be able to do it. And I want you as a faithful preacher to be able to know who you're preaching to. Now, I want you to think about preaching like a man on trial or, excuse me, a lawyer with a person on trial. It is your job to convict them them of their sin 
So I want you to imagine they're the one on trial for being a sinner. And you're the lawyer. And you're coming before them. And you're saying, you are guilty. And they're making up their excuses. No, I'm not. I'm innocent. And you're the lawyer. No, you are guilty. I have evidence of your guilt. This is the evidence. Here's the laws you've broke. Here they are. Here's the evidence. You're guilty. No, I'll do it later, you know, whatever. And then you put them on trial, okay? God is the judge, and you as the preacher are putting them on trial. You are having them reconcile with their life before God's law. That's who you are. You're the lawyer. Now, Charles Finney, who was a lawyer who got saved in the 1800s, was an awesome preacher. Because that's how he looked at it. He looked at it as it was his job to convict them of their own sin. They were on trial, and he wanted them to know who they were, okay? So think of yourself in that way. Because what men are going to do is they're going to give you excuses. Now, I know you guys are not of the kind that would say, you know, only the Spirit convicts, so we're here to tell everybody Jesus loves them. That's the devil. I know you understand that. But let me give for those listening right now. When the Bible says he will come into the world, convict the world of sin, righteousness, and of judgment, who does he use to do that? Okay, amen. Because the Bible says, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and then you shall be my witnesses. So for anybody who says, well, let God just do the convicting, is somewhere out in outer space. They don't understand how God works upon this earth. The Holy Spirit doesn't just, ooh, oh, you feel conviction now. How many of you lived a life of sin without any conviction? How many of you did things for a while? I mean, you just lived in no conviction at all. Looked at pornography, not a problem. Had boyfriends, girlfriends, had sex. I mean, no problem at all. Maybe you felt convicted about something. Maybe you stole, you know, maybe you cheated on a girlfriend. Maybe you were a little too bad. You were a bad boy that day. But how many just, no, you just lived in sin, and it was okay. It was a-okay. It wasn't until... You began to hear the word of God preached to you. As the Bible says in Romans, how will they hear unless someone is preaching to them? And how will the one preach unless he is sent? Thus it says, blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. So how does the Holy Spirit bring conviction? It's through the word of God. Okay? So... We are there to expose their sin. You're there as that lawyer to look at their life. And how do you look at somebody's life? Because somebody says, don't judge me, don't judge me. Well, the Bible says out of the heart, uh, with the mouth, people speak because out of the heart comes the, the, the issues of life. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart. So out of the heart flows, the Bible says, all of these things that are dirty. And so all you got to do is just get them talking. That's all you got to do. Get the person talking who you're witnessing to. Get the person talking who you're preaching to. That's why you'll notice the difference in my style of preaching now after 15 years as opposed to when I first started. At the beginning, it was me doing all the talking. It was just, let me just tell you about God. Let me tell you about God. I think Adolfo can relate to this because he's a talker. He wants to get out there and me just tell you about God. Let me tell you about God. And then, and it's almost like you want to give them agreeable statements, you know. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? Okay, now let me tell you about God. And he's like, you just give them two seconds to talk. No, the way I do it now is the total opposite approach to that. What do you think about God? Silence. Let them talk. What do you think about God? Oh, man, I don't don't know. I think God's like this. Well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean? And you let them talk. You let them, out of the abundance of their heart, you let them begin to talk. For example, I was at an alderman's office, and uh, they had this statue, no joke. It was probably about eight feet tall, about four feet wide of the Virgin Mary. And it was leaning against the wall, and she said, oh, you're a pastor. Well, then you must know about this. This is pretty exciting right here. And I said, no, I don't. What, what do you mean by that? 
Let them talk. Don't just get into an agreement. Oh, yeah, I understand. You know, even if I did understand, I don't understand how they understand. No, no, tell me what you mean by this. What do you mean by this? Oh, well, that's the Virgin Mary. You know, that's Jesus' mother. Okay, well, what does that mean to you? Why, why do you have such a big picture? You see, let them talk. Oh, and then to begin to explain. Oh, well, she helps me. You see, she helps me. I, I, this reminds me to pray to her, to help her. Oh, you can pray to her? Where does the Bible say you can pray to her? You see, you let them begin to talk. You, you, you put them on trial, and you say, tell me what you did last night. See, that's all the lawyer's got to do. See, if a person had committed a crime, he gets them to start talking. Because the more they start talking, more words, like the Bible says, where many words are present, sin is right there. Sin is right there. So let them keep talking. Let them tell you what they think. And then all of a sudden, you're going to start hearing the pinpoints. You're going to start hearing them. And here's the four things that you're going to begin to hear that's mentioned in this uh, parable of the sower. You're going to hear four things begin to come from their heart. Unbelief. Number one, you're going to hear unbelief. Just, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. You can say that, but I believe this. I still don't believe what you're saying. I have unbelief. I'm a skeptic. Prove it. Unbelief. You get it? Uh, number two, fear. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And that sometimes they won't even say the word afraid. What am I going to do? What about all my friends? What am I going to do on Friday nights? You know, and you start to hear the people, and, 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 and they're afraid, and they, and they have fear in their eyes. And, and you may not even recognize it as fear. So hopefully from today you'll, you'll see past the words. Because some of the most coolest, machoist people could be talking to you, gangbangers and all this. But really what they're saying is fear. Fear. I'm afraid of what people think about me. I'm afraid of what's going to happen. I'm afraid of losing my friends. I'm afraid to be by myself at night. I'm afraid... To to not have what I used to have. I'm afraid to not have a relationship with somebody. I'm afraid to be alone. And you'll hear people speak out of fear. The next thing you'll hear them uh, talk about is the uh, selfishness, the selfishness. They'll, they'll start to talk about, it's all about me. It's all about me. I don't want to give up that. I like this. I like that. I like this. I like that. I don't think it's my time. I don't think it's my time. It's not the right time. Maybe we'll do it later. I, don't th I think I'll do it before I die. I kind of understand what you're saying, but I still don't agree that it's wrong to do these things. It's all about selfishness. And then the last thing is faith. Belief. Okay. That's what Jesus said. I'll do it. That's what Jesus said. I'm going to do it. Now, let's, let's go through these. And, and like I said, this is not about teaching the parable itself. You've read this parable a hundred times. If you're in Bible college, you should know this. If not, we'll pray for you. Amen. You need to keep reading your Bible, and you'll get there. But here's the idea. I want to bounce through these four. I want, to kind, I want you to kind of see them as fluid, like they move together. And not only do they move from one to two to three to four, but you can go from four to three to two to one. Do you understand what I'm saying? You could be somebody that has faith and is loving God and is doing awesome. And before you know it, you can be in number three. You can become selfish and let sin come in your life. And then number two, you start giving up because things get hard. And then all of a sudden, you come back to number one. Your heart is hard. You see, it would just cycle just right like that. And so let's just talk about them and talk about how we can preach to people that go through these things. And then us ourselves realize that we still got to finish our race and make sure that our garden stays clean and that we're bearing fruit until we go to meet Jesus in heaven. Because we know in John 15 that as we're bearing fruit, he's going to keep snipping us. He's going to get the junk out so we can bear more fruit. But if at any time we stop bearing fruit and we start getting tempted to living selfishly, those weeds start to choke out the vine. You, you go right now to the best vineyard in California and you look at it and you tell Tell the gardeners, don't do anything in that garden for the next two years. That vineyard will be destroyed. All the weeds will come up. The crops will die. Well, it's the same thing. If you don't work with, you know, you walk with God, get the junk out of your life, all of a sudden your heart begins to get hard. You start to suffer, and then you quit. So we've got to see ourselves personally how it works. Okay, so number one, somebody says unbelief. I don't believe. 
Well, that one seems kind of simple, but it comes in different ways. Let me give you an example. I've been preaching for a while, and a lot of times I go out to thinkers. I've been to U of I, you know, Belmont and Clark is where we went out here. And, and you talk to people who are thinkers. When I first started evangelizing in Fort Wayne, I went out to the Three Rivers Festival, people like myself, most uh, middle class people, you know. And even today, now on the west side, in the hood, I hear the same arguments where before, you know, great-grandma used to raise them up to love God, but you'll hear the same things. And sometimes it disguises itself as the form of they're very smart, they're very intelligent. And what they'll say is something like this. I don't believe in God, I believe in science. How many have ever heard that before? I don't believe in God, I believe in science. Now I want you to understand from Jesus' parable what they've just done. They've just hardened their heart before God, and yet they want God to prove himself in a way he said he never would prove himself. Did God ever say in his word that he would prove himself through science? Did he ever say he would? So now here comes the word of God, and they're saying, I don't believe in God, I believe in science. And then if you ask them, well, what evidence would it take to have you believe in God? They give you all this scientific evidence. I want to tell you something. What they've basically just done is sealed their own fate to go to hell. Because they've just basically said, I don't believe in God, I don't want to believe in God, and the way that your Bible says to believe in God, I'm not even going to walk down that path. Now, what do you say to somebody like that? I'm just going to give you some helpful one-liners, okay? And I'm not saying that you say these back to people without, without compassion and without love, but one thing you can say back to them is, does science prove that science knows everything? Think about that. Think about what I just said. It's not, a, it's not a Jedi mind trick. It's just taking what they said and using the same claim against them. And we use, uh, learned this in the 201. Is there scientific proof that says everything should be proven scientifically? No. So what you need to get them to do is question why do they want everything proven scientifically? Why? Why did you ever get to that place in your life? So instead of just saying, okay, well, let's get into an argument about, you know, uh, creation versus evolution. I'm going to start giving you a bunch of points. Why not just say back to them and say, why did you ever believe that science was the only way to discover truth? What made you feel that way? What happened in your life? Where did, where did you get that idea? And you let them begin to talk. And some of them will start telling you things that have absolutely nothing to do with science. For example, like a man that I had met on the street right here in front, he said, well, because I was brought up in church, and I saw hypocrisy in the church. And so I realized that the church was phony, that it wasn't real. Oh, so you gave up on the church and put all your faith in science because of what you saw in the church. But have you ever just read the Bible by itself? Have you ever taken the path of believing like the Bible recommends? You see, what you need to do to the person that has no belief is you need to bring them to the Word of God because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So what you need to say is, hold on, hold on. You picked a process to go in life Well, you'll never discover all there is because even science doesn't say it's able to discover all there is. Science can't discover and prove love. Science can't discover and prove why we choose certain instincts over other instincts. Well, you know, you have an instinct right now to fight or flight, but how do you choose those instincts? You're not an animal that lives by only instinct. 
you have a conscience that controls those instincts. So science didn't prove that. Science doesn't prove why we should give pity and remorse to the one who loses their child. How does science prove that? Why should we be upset about that? Shouldn't we actually be okay with that? We're kind of happy because that was the nature's way of saving the weak. Here, this one wasn't going to make it. It died. That's awesome. I'm so happy that baby died. It was never going to make it. We should be happy when, when tragedy happens because that's less people to compete with. I mean, you should be happy when you hear about a school shooting. That's awesome. Don't got to compete with them when I go for a job. Oh, that's great, man. More people are dying in the world. Dude, it's just more nuts for me to gather in the jungle or in the woods. See? We, we, don't, we don't think about it. that. See, so why did you, you ask them, why did you ever think science was going to tell you everything about the world? Science doesn't even prove that science will tell you everything about the world. The second thing you want to say to them is, who is God to you? Now, you might say, well, they just said, I don't believe in God. Well, what you need to ask them is, what God are you not believing in? So many times they're talking about a God that doesn't exist. Well, I, I, don't, I don't believe in that God of the Roman Catholics, you know, of the great inquisitions and, and all of that stuff. I don't believe that there's this, 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 and this. And then you might be able to say right back to them, well, I don't believe in that God either. What, what God do you think I'm out here talking about? What, what do you think the God I'm talking about looks like? Well, you know, those religious people, they strap on bombs, you know, like Bill Maher and Irreligious movie. You know, those religious people, they strap on bombs and they go out there and blow themselves up. Hey, well, I'm not talking about that God. Well, your Bible said this, 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 this. Okay, well, we're, we're talking about the God of the Bible now, but you don't understand the Bible unless you understand the God of the Bible. So just back up for a minute, Jack, and just tell me you want to talk about him for a minute. What God don't you believe in? Or what are your thoughts about God? And I think the best way to ask that question is, what God don't you believe in? Well, all of them. I don't believe in any of them. Okay? So you don't believe in any God. No, no, I believe in science. Well, I only believe in what can be proven. Well, wouldn't science now become your religion then? Seems like you have faith, and it doesn't prove everything, but yet you have faith in it. And wouldn't evolution and the power of that evolution in some way be your God? So you could actually help them understand that they're believing in something without evidence either. You can't prove everything through evolution. You can't prove everything through science, yet you still believe in it. And yet there's a power behind all of that. And yet you're willing to say that power created something out of nothing and that all of these string theories and multiple universe theories because they say they don't believe. Now, let me just stop you right here. There's a, a question beyond the question. The question now you want to ask yourself at that point not just to them, but you want to ask it to God. God, what do I tell them to, tell, to, show, to show them that you're speaking to me? See, they don't believe because of these silly notions that they have in their head. But what can you speak to me, God, to help me share with them that you're talking to me? And so while they're talking and they're running on about what they don't believe and you're getting them to talk, you want them to begin to express themselves. As, excuse me, as they're expressing themselves, you want to ask them. You want to be able to, I mean, excuse me, ask God, God, is there something you want me to reveal to them? A word of knowledge to know something that only you and them know. Or a word of wisdom, something that they will know undeniably, something that God has given them. 
You see, my friends, unbelief is not just a question to them. It's a question to God. God, can I give them an answer to help their unbelief? You see, you have to see yourself in the place. In the, there's an answer machine back there. Turn it off and do whatever you got to do. Thank you. I want to know with, when I'm talking to God, I mean when I'm talking to people, God, what can I say to them to help them believe? It's a question I want to know. I want to know the answer to that. Because there was times in Jesus' life that people may not believe that he was from heaven, the Son of God, but there was never a time that they didn't believe he was doing miracles. At least they'll see the power of our God. At least they'll know that something interacted with them that day. For example, I remember uh, talking to a person at um, Belmont and Clark, and we were talking, and he was giving me all the standard religious answers, I mean, uh, the atheistic answers to religion. I don't believe in God. I just believe in science. Well, why don't you believe in God? Well, because I used to go to church, and it's all full of hypocrites, and he's going on and on and on. And I said, okay, well, let me just pray for you if I can. And that's the time that you want to seek and hear what God is saying. Took him by the hand, and I began to pray. And as I was praying, God put in my heart, tell him I know what his father did. And that's really why he doesn't believe. And then tell him to stop being dishonest. So then we got done praying. We said, amen. He's about ready to go. I said, hold up, dude, hold up. While we were praying, God said two things to me. He said that your father had an impact on how you feel about religion. And then the second, God says he knows about that. He wanted me to tell you. And then the second thing I heard in my heart, dishonest, dishonest. That's what I heard in my heart. So what does that mean? And he looked at me with shock. And he goes, the one that was the hypocrite was my dad. And it hurt me more than anything. And then he said, now I'm totally blown away. And he moves into the second thing, the fear. He says, now I'm afraid. Because the thing about being dishonest is I haven't told you my right name. I haven't told you where I work. Everything I've told you about myself has been a lie because I just wanted to mess with you. And so all of a sudden now he moves into step number two. You see, he's not in unbelief anymore. Now he knows there's a God. Bam, it woke him up. Now, God can use the word of God to work, wake him up. God can convict him of sin through those questions, or God can just give him a word of wisdom or knowledge, but bam, it woke him up. But now he's at step number two because the next things that began to come out of his mouth was, I'm not ready to give up these things. I'm, I'm not ready to be this. And I want you to understand step number two or this second, it's not really step number two, it's actually response number two because some people just start on response number two, okay? So not necessarily one, two, three, and four. But I want you to understand this. In response number two, what are they saying? Christianity is not worth it to me yet. Christianity is not worth it to me yet. See, the, the plant begins to grow. The Bible says it doesn't have a lot of foundation, a lot of, a lot of roots. The sun comes out, and it burns it up. Because what they used to receive with joy now has become a place of pain. So I want you to think about this. You and I think about the cross, and we think of the cross as a place of love. We think of the cross as a place of life, don't we? When you look at the cross, you see a place of life, don't you? But when they begin to look at the cross, what, what do they smell now? Death. 
They, they, they smell the blood. You could smell blood. Rotting flesh being baked in the sun. You can see the enormous pain. And so they begin to look at the cross, and they don't see life. They just see death. And they begin to think, oh, I'm going to lose my friends. Oh, I'm not going to be able to go out anymore. I'm not going to be able to to think about myself like the way I used to think about myself. And now this is a response of fear. And what they begin to want to do is they want to now put it back on the sun. Well, the sun is so hot. The standard is so high. Being a Christian is just too much for me. I I can't do it right now. I'm not ready to do it. They put it all back on the sun. But my friends, it's that same sun that in the fourth scenario, the fourth response, that grows that plant so big and strong, causes photosynthesis to happen. It's that same sun over here that's doing everything good for that plant. It's not the sun's fault that its rays are so hot. It's not the sun's fault that it rises in the morning. No, the the fault is of the the little baby plant that doesn't want to go down deeper, that doesn't want to let those roots go all the way down into who they are and to change their personality. I never wept one tear for anybody before I got saved. But Christianity went down into my life and changed the way I thought about people. I can't remember giving away one thing for free in my entire life, except when I was at church doing something as a kid in youth group. Never can I remember. I mean, other than to maybe a friend, you want to bum a cigarette, something like that, but never giving away anything of value and certainly not starting off the day like, I want to go give somebody something. Never! But as Christianity dug down, It began to change my heart. I never wanted to be alone as a non-Christian. My mom said from the time you would get up, Joe, as a teenager, you would run out with your friends until I had to call your name down the street. And then when you got a car, the moment you got that car, literally my birthday, I got my license and a car as a gift. My parents said the moment you got that car, we never saw you again. You could never be alone. Go to bed with TV on. Go to bed high. Couldn't stand my own thoughts being by myself. And that was actually part of what brought me to Christianity is when I was living by myself, I was getting away from the drugs and I was getting away from those friends for a season. But then I began to get afraid. I was like having anxiety attacks. And that's what actually made me call up my mom and go, Mom, put me in a mental hospital. I'm going crazy. But you know, the only thing that was scaring me, making me afraid, was my thoughts that I had hid and put into the the deep part of my life and did not want them to come out. And so you don't know who you're witnessing to. You don't know what they're going through. You could be witnessing to somebody that the moment they accept Jesus Christ, they're going to have to leave a relationship they've been with for somebody for 15 years, and they're so afraid to do it. You know what I'm saying? You're just walking down the street. Hey, man, you got some time to talk about Jesus? You're about ready to put a flyer in his hand. Looks like a, you know, maybe a clean-cut businessman like these guys right here. You don't know. He might be in a shack-up relationship with his girlfriend for 20 years, and, and he's hearing the message, and now he hears you say, man, come on, let's accept Jesus. And in his mind, he says, no, I'm not ready. But really what he's saying is, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And usually what has happened with these people? 
Generally, the people in phase two have accepted Jesus at a time or two in their life, and they've already seen how fast it ended. And they don't want to start it now. Right? Why, why start it again? And not only that, but they actually have kind of like this hesitancy in their life to accept it because think about the last time you got your heart broke. You know, maybe you were in a relationship with somebody. Come on, everybody here's gotten their heart broke. When I mention that person's name or I mention what they did, doesn't that kind of touch that wound a little bit? Like, ooh, oh, it makes me think about that. Like I think about the girl that cheated on me and when she was in Bible college, you know, asking her to marry. It's like, oh, man, just that memory makes me think. Man, my heart was broke. Or maybe a parent or somebody let you down in life and you think back, hey, yeah, i got to forgive my dad because if I, if I think about that birthday party that he promised to be at, oh, i get my heart broke again. You see, you got to forgive him, right? Let me, let me tell you guys something. A lot of people look at God that way because they think of God as the one who broke their heart. God, I tried you, but God, you were just so hot. You, you, you just came out in the persecution and everything I suffered. You felt like you abandoned me. felt like I was all alone. It, it felt like, God, you were asking me to do things to, to prove my love to you. And, and I was just telling you this is all I can give. And, and it wasn't good enough for you, God. It wasn't good enough. I, I couldn't make it as a Christian. I, I couldn't live my life as a Christian. And my heart's kind of hurt now, God. I don't want to talk about it right now. See, that's what they're saying. See, that's what they're saying. See, you've got to listen to their words. Are they talking out of fear? You know the ones I'm talking about. I just met two young people right out here last Wednesday as I was evangelizing. And I said to them, do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Okay, so they're not number one. They're not skeptical. They're not hard-hearted. They believe. You understand that Jesus loves you. Yes, you believe in the cross. Yes. Okay, where would you go right now if you were to die? And I've been hearing this more now than I've ever heard it before. Looked right at me. Hell. Okay. Keeping it real. Looked right at the girl. Where would you go? Hell. Oh, man, that's, that's sad. Why would you guys know you're going to hell and not do something about it? And what would they say? Oh, because it's just not my time yet. I just I don't want to just make the commitment and then and then it fall apart and back down. You know, I, you know I've done that before, and I, I know my time's coming up. What are they talking out of? Fear. Fear. Well, what do you say to somebody like that? You don't save yourself. God saves you. There is no fear in perfect love. Perfect love drives out all fear. You know how that little plant grows? By that sun and water. Not by just it sitting in the soil going, mm, come on, roots. Mm, mm, come on, stretch out more roots. I need more water down there in the dirt. Mm. That plant doesn't make itself grow. It happens because of the process of germination. It's in the seed. The seed causes the growth. And when the Word of God comes into the heart of man, it will produce life. It will. It cannot fail. God cannot plant a seed that does not grow. That's where we get encouragement to keep preaching to our friends and family. Because some may have hard hearts, and yeah, the devil's taking it, but others, man, it may get in there, start to grow. But they have to let go. They have to stop wanting to do it because here is the root of fear. You want to know what the root of fear is? It's what I can do for myself. Think about it. People fear a flying. They're up in a plane 30,000 feet. Oh, oh, I'm afraid. Why are they afraid? Because they can't fly at 30,000 feet. See, it's a fear of what you can't do. 
remember when you guys would go to schools, uh, uh, you know, retreats and different things, and they would have people stand behind, and you would do that test, and you would say, fall back into somebody's arm? What was that trying to tell you? You can't catch yourself falling backwards. You can catch yourself falling forwards, but you can't catch yourself falling backwards. See, that's what fear is. Fear says, I I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't fly at 30,000 feet. What am I doing at 30,000 feet? Fear flying. Fear spiders. Oh, if that spider bites me, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I can't do anything to that spider. I'm afraid it paralyzes me. They don't understand. They don't get it. There are some things in life you can't change. I'm not saying that faith says now God tells you you're going to do everything now. Faith isn't, Joe, you're going to go become a pastor. Well, I believe that, Lord. Well, Joe, you're going to. No, it's always saying God is going to make me to be that. God is going to put me up 30,000 feet. God is going to change my life. Faith is not believing in yourself. I hate that. I watched Dr. Phil just to remind myself of what humanism stinks like. you got to do it for yourself. you got to believe in yourself. Biggest Loser even says in one of my favorite shows, and they say to the people, you got to be selfish now. you got to look out for yourself. You've been taking care of all your kids, and now you've become obese. No, they became obese because they were selfish. It's just another form of selfishness, self-pity, self-destruction, self-self-pity. All about them. Well, I'm afraid to serve God. Why are you afraid? And that's what you need to ask them. What, what, what don't you want to give up? And then they'll go to phase three. And this is where phase three, and the, and the people then began to tell me. They said, well, you know, uh, uh, well, you know, you know, and they're like kind of just like pointing to each other, well, well, you know, and I said, what, you all having sex? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're having sex, and we, we, don't, we don't want to stop that. And the Bible says the pleasures of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the worries of this life. Now selfishness. Not are they just afraid to go and give up something for God, but what they're saying now is, hey, I, I actually kind of like it this way. I kind of like it. I kind of like my... My, uh, my little sin right here. It's my little pet sin. You ever heard that phrase, pet sin? This is my little pet sin. It's my little pet. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I like being able to look at pornography when I want. They'll say, I, I like to go out and have sex. I, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, be in a monogamous relationship. I like just hanging out with girls. And that heart of selfishness, they don't understand is a heart of death. And that heart of death, here's the one that you guys maybe didn't see. But that can happen at any time in your Christian walk. Because this one, you know, that one that's real shallow, that's that second phase, that, that second decision rather, that says, you know, I, I don't know, I'm kind of afraid. Well, that one always stays small. That one's just, you know, you're, not, you're either going to get bigger and stronger and move on or you're going to stay small. But this one about weeds, oh, this could happen any time. This could happen 30 years down the road. You could be a pastor, and you could start saying to yourself, man, why have I given up so much? Man, I deserve, I deserve more out of life. Man, I deserve that girl, that woman. Man, I deserve a beautiful woman. I I deserve this money. I deserve more money in my life. You know what? I've been serving everybody these years. You know when evangelists tell me they get tempted the most, and pastors over the years, they say they get tempted the most after the greatest experience they've had with God. 
Because they say after that crusade of 20,000 people, they come to the hotel and they go, man, I deserve this porno right now. I've done so much for these people. I've preached so hard for God. I've resisted sin so much. Look at all the good I've done. I, I actually, I deserve this now. I, I deserve more. The, the love of money, I deserve more. Why should I work in a secular job and be in the ministry? I, I deserve more than that. I deserve more. And what you see, these people, what they're not telling you. See, what, the, what they'll say. See, my friend uh, outside who said, well, I put sex before God. They're being honest. But some people will just say, well, it's just not my time. It's just not my time. Well, what are you putting before God? Oh, no, you know, it's not really anything. You know, I could give up whatever I'm doing. But it's, it's just not my time. I'm not ready to do all that for God. They are lying. They are liars. They can't give it up. You know when I realized this, that men were liars? Remember we're talking about were these lawyers? You see, my friends, you and I don't have any authority over people's lives. We try to stop them on the street. If they want to spit on us and keep walking, they can. Nobody, you know, nobody's going to make them sit and listen to us. But have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you're preaching to them and it just feels like it's going nowhere, but you're saying all the right things and, and, and you, just, you just can't understand. Why is it not going anywhere and you're, you're trying to show them the law of God and where they are and how powerful God is? Can I tell you why it's not going anywhere? Because men are liars. Let me tell you when I saw this. To catch a predator on Dateline. Did anybody ever see that? To catch a predator on Dateline, they would set up these computer chat rooms with grown men, and they would pose as little boys and little girls. 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old little boys and little girls. And the long story short is they would let the, the, the man talk dirty to them, and then they would, they would let the, the man entice them to meet and to do sexual things. And just to make sure they could have enough evidence to arrest them, they would say, do you mean you're wanting to do this? And they would say, oh, yes, we're going to do this. And it was all in writing. And then they would say, come to this house. How many ever saw that show? disgusting but my favorite part was always when they walked in the door the girl would walk away because that was the decoy and then the news reporter would come in with the cameras and go what are you doing here how many remember that part and then what would they begin to do lie their teeth off and i know we heard the other word other than teeth inserted there but they would lie their fanny off Oh, 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 you know, I was coming to i was coming to teach her homework i was coming to do tutoring with her Oh, I was oh, I was going to come and bring him to the soccer game, and they start lying, straight-faced, tears coming down their eyes. I, I've got a family. I, I would never do this. Some people even saying, "I'm a teacher. I would never do this." One was a police officer. I'm a police officer. Somebody was in the military. I was in the military. I would never do this. I'm not that person. Oh, really? Um, we got the records right here. The same. Record that told you to come to this exact house at this exact time. So we know it's you. Uh, and, and then highlighted, read what that says. I'm going to lick you up and down and blah, blah. Is that what you said? And then the police officer would, I mean, excuse me, the, the TV host wouldn't arrest them. And then the people thought that when he left, they left the house. You remember, see, this is my second favorite part. They thought that when they left, that they were off. 
And so the, guy, the people would, would sit there and listen to it. They had the cameras on them, and then they would say to them, oh, okay, okay, you got me, you got me. Uh, can I go? I won't do it again. I promise. Can I go? And then, and then the guy would say, yeah, you're free to go. Go ahead. And then he would walk out the door. What would happen? Poof! Under arrest! Put your hands behind your back! Slammed onto the floor and all that. Listen to me. People will look you right in your eyes. Christian, non-Christian, doesn't look you right in your eyes and go, I don't have a problem with lust. I don't have a problem. Look you right in your eyes. I'm not bitter. I don't have a problem with bitterness. I'm not jealous. They got weeds growing in their hearts. And they will lie before they'll look you in the eye and say, yes, that is who I am. Now, let me tell you, for them to say yes, that only comes by the power of God. You can put them on trial. You can get them to have all the evidence. And now only by God can they then admit their guilt and their hard heart become soft. And that is the free will of God that God has given them. If they will let down the guard. God will be real with them. And some of you know, all of you, because we've all repented, you know what that feels like. The moment you let down the guard, it's just like, it just floods out. And tears start coming down your eyes. And you recognize, I am guilty. I am that person. Oh, dear God. How many of you were blown away? I'm not just talking about like you were thankful for the cross, the washing of the blood felt good. But listen to me. Listen to this very specific question. How many of you were blown away? When God showed you how evil you really were, when he really showed you, he really showed, no, this is really, when you finally let down your defenses, you let down the guard and he could begin to talk to you. And all those things you try to defend to people, you're just like, dear God, please don't ever bring this up again. Because there there is no defense for this stuff. Stuff in my heart, stuff that I had held against people, ways that I thought about myself. Like the Bible would say, the the haughty look is what God hates. All of a sudden I would read that, and I was like, I never knew. I would just walk around with my my beaner, my little hat, like what you wear, over my eyes, smoking weed, looking like Cypress Hill. And like how I would just look at people with pride all day long. And God said, you have no idea how much I hated that. How much I hated. Your pride. And then I went back in my heart and in my mind, and God started bringing me back. Remember that time you talked to your mom that way? Remember that time you talked to your dad? I hated that. That was sinful. That was disgusting. Those were the weeds of your life. You see, my friends, that is a place where you've got to be every day of your life. And when you're preaching to people, don't let them deceive you. Don't let them lie to you. You just tell them who God says they are. You're not born again. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. Well, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I'm telling you, you'll, you'll try to, well, do you lie? No, I don't really lie that much. Well, you, if you've told one lie, you're a sinner. But, you, you know, you can see that they're still not really convicted. You know, it's kind of like they live out here in the middle class dream of America. And, and they go to church on, on Christmas and Easter. And really, it's kind of like you just, you just didn't feel like you made the point. I mean, I've been there before. You know what's going on? They are lying through their teeth. They are lying through their teeth. And I could say some things right now, but I don't want to uh, offend or push away people from the gospel if they ever watch this video. Because I could tell you how specifically people have lied to me. And then they come back and say, oh, no, that was who I was. And you're just like, okay. That's why, that's why when we were talking, it never really clicked. 
That's why when we kept trying to get you in discipleship, it just never clicked. You ever, you ever notice that, those of you trying to get, you know, some of the people in 101? It just doesn't click. It's like, you know, you, you hunt them down, you call them four times, here's the 101 book. Or, or you know, there's somebody that comes to the church, that they, they, they stay for maybe three weeks, then they go away for three weeks, and they come back in three weeks, or maybe they come once, and then you'll see them six months later. And, and then you sit down, and they say all the right things. You know, I love God. I really want this. And this is what I know. You know, in the youth group, you'll hear them say, okay, I'm ready now, and I'm going to do it. Okay, did you confess all your sin? You got all the junk out? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. They are lying through their teeth. Because when God shows people who they really are, they can't leave. And they can't stand weeds in their life. And as a matter of fact, the one they used to get mad at that was talking about their weeds, I ain't got no weeds, is the one they actually begin to love. And they begin to call you pastor, or they begin to call you friend, and say, thanks for taking out those weeds, because you know what? Those things were hurting so bad. I'm, I'm so, so tired of living a double life. I'm so glad to get those wees out of my life. And they begin to thank you. They begin to love you because you're pulling that junk out their life. And then the last one says, I believe. And he doesn't just say it one time. Or she doesn't just say it at one event. They say it the rest of their lives. I believe. Do you believe today? I believe. Not that you're going to lose your salvation that easily. It's just you're affirming your belief by what you do every day. Because the Bible says faith without works is dead. So every day you're putting your faith into action. I believe. I'm going to pray now because I believe God hears me. I believe. So I'm going to go out and be a part of church and receive discipleship because I believe I'm supposed to know the teachings of Jesus. I believe. And so I'm going to be a worshiper of God. I'm going to love him and abandon him. I believe. So I'm going to love my neighbor. And that life of belief goes and goes and goes like the inner Energizer bunnies, and it never stops because God is in that life. And then what we've said is that life stops living by faith, stops trusting in God. Well, oh, well, what would happen here? I just picked my weeds last night in my garden. Oh, this morning is that weed already there? Because as God is planting seeds, who else plants seeds? The devil. So he plants a little seed right there. Oh, you, you worry too much. You need to just take it easy. Lay back on the schoolwork a little bit. Man, come on. You're 20 years old. Man, you, you stress out too much. It's okay. You've got plenty of time to get it right. Starts as a little seed. Breaks out into a little plant. You know what? It's okay. It's okay. Listen, it's okay. Trust me. I've been around the block. You're not the first pastor to want to wanna get a divorce at a young age. You can start over again. No, you're not the first guy. You're not the first guy to go out and slip a couple drinks. Come on. Starts to grow a little bit. And then before you know it, you're back to where the other person was. We're looking right at you and you're saying, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Ain't nothing wrong with me. My heart is great. You're just not clicking with everybody. Ministry's not going like it was. And you're just, nobody can put their finger on it. And, and it's because right there. You're hiding it. And then if you don't deal with it, you don't confess it, and that, that, that flowing of tears, because the Bible says godly sorrow leads to repentance. And if that doesn't happen, then what begins to happen? That big, strong oak of a tree or that big vine begins to shrink on down until it becomes just this small, decrepit little thing. And it wasn't Samson's first sin, touching the jawbone of a donkey that cost him. No, and it 
wasn't his second sin of going out and drinking, having vines, you know, drinking from the, the vine. And it wasn't his third sin, having a wife or a sexual relationship with a non-Jewish person. What was it? It was his last thing of the Nazarite vow, the cutting of the hair, that he had thought, well, I've already done these three things. Why not do the fourth thing? I'll still have my power. And so all of a sudden you're, you're this decrepit little thing, and you're thinking, well, I, I can make it through Christianity like this. I mean, I can make it through Bible college like this. Yes, maybe I'm not as radical as I once was, but I'll make it through. And then all of a sudden, the sun comes out one more time. (sighs) Burns you up. And now you have that hard heart. And you'll meet people that used to be in Bible college. They have a heart as hard as stone. Because they stopped letting God water their ground, letting the seed grow, picking out the weeds, and being honest and letting God give them the ability. Let's all stand to our feet. Because I had to take most of the time on the lecture, we don't have a lot of time for prayer because we will not be late to our other classes beyond what we are already. Let them know it was my fault. But I want to pray for you today to be that one that makes it to the end. And then when you're preaching to people, don't let them lie to you. And when they're asking you, I don't believe in God, I believe in science, get real with them. Say, what God don't you believe in or Did science ever tell you that, that you can only know things by science? Where did you learn that? And then when you hear people say, well, I'm just not ready, and you know what, Uh, you know, I'll do that sometime. See through their fear and speak to them that God will save them if they allow him to. And then when you see people just lying, oh, I don't have any problems, and you notice there's no fruit or you notice they're not where they're supposed to be or you can just tell that they're not not saved, you you need to tell them, no, you're lying. you got some junk in your life. Amen? Father, bless us today. Make us that fruitful vine in your vineyard. Trim us, prune us. And any of the junk we have in our life today, God, if it's not being dealt with already, begin to deal with it right now. Uproot the weeds. Take away the fear. Because, God, we want to make it to the end. Oh, Lord, we want to be fruitful in your kingdom. We have nothing to fear when we live right. So, God, you're a good God. You're a kind God. But, Lord, you said we should fear you. When we don't do what's right, that it's a fearful thing and a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Lord, today we ask for your love that will draw us into all the things we need. Lead us by that spirit of love today, grace and forgiveness, so we may be fruitful vines in your vineyard. And teach us how to preach the gospel with signs and wonders following. Seeing men, as it says in this parable, as their hearts in the things they're dealing with as those weeds and sun and all of those illustrations. Let us see it when we're preaching to them so we can be faithful lawyers and ministers of your word, helping people know who they really are. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.